Many of you are looking to break into consulting in the United States. From a vantage point of being outside the US, you're in Canada or Europe or Mexico or Asia or South America and you're just having a really hard time. We get it, it's not an easy transition, but there's hope. Uh, today on the podcast, we're sharing a recent live event where we're sharing the three pathways to breaking into consulting in the US as an international candidate. In addition, we share about our brand new H1B visa sponsored database, some networking application and interview key tips. And finally, a couple of stories from two amazing candidates who recently landed offers as internationals. One landed an offer in the UK and one in the US. Make sure to get on our email list to be notified about the next live event that we host. We host two a month. Okay, let's dive into the conversation. I'm Jenny Ray LaRue. I'm the Managing Director of Management Consulted, and I'm really excited to share both the content and also the panel with you today. So here's what we're going to cover. First, we're going to talk about just a roadmap to consulting for internationals. And our focus for today is giving you hopefully some hope, some direction, some what to do and what not to do. Um, this is from our experience helping a, a lot of people, right? Thousands of people get into consulting um, from international environments. We're also going to share a little bit about our H1B sponsors database. Um, great database that we put together that kind of helps you search for firms that have hired H-1B visas before. It can be a great proxy for not just H-1B visas, but also other kinds of sponsorship. And so we'll, in the links, send you there. So if you want to take a look beyond what we share with you today, you can dive in yourself to the data. Um, then we're going to talk really briefly about just some networking application and interview tips. We'll tailor those toward international consultants because I think there are a lot of folks that don't understand that there are a few different things that people are looking for if they're planning on participating in your sponsorship. And then finally, we're going to talk through a couple of success stories from our panelists on the call today. Um, you know, really, I think one of the things that's a key to highlight is that you've got a couple of key pathways that you can utilize um, to, to go into um, the, the international recruiting process. And there are a few things that I think will be really helpful for folks to understand. First of all, you know, make sure that you um, understand that working directly into the U.S. is not the easiest way. I'm going to talk through for our student populations two other options um, in just a minute. But if you work for a global firm in your home country, a transfer is much easier. It's much easier for them to make the case that you are a um, desired, well-trained staff member that needs to come to the home country. Um, second, develop specialized skills. You know, tech firms, for example, are much more likely likely to sponsor. And third, really focus on working for other firms, especially brand name firms that have great traditional hiring processes and also traditional training processes um, in the U.S. and lateral over into consulting. So if there are firms that hire either from your school or that you are directly qualified to work for, sometimes this is a two-step process for a number of different folks. Um, for prospective students, we want you to go through a couple of things. First of all, select the right school. Um, so ask about visa support in your selection process. Um, you know, make sure that as you're working with your uh, school and thinking about where you want to go, that they can tell you not just an example, but specific numbers and actionable examples. Um, we have over 75 partner schools. They're fantastic at supporting their international students. Um, we're always happy to recommend 
schools that you may be thinking of or maybe haven't thought of because we see from their side how well they do at placing their students, especially into the consulting field. Um, not just getting jobs in country, but also networking in country can be incredibly powerful. So just connecting with people at your target firms in your home country before you're starting school can be a um, kind of guidance conversation, not a I am applying, but I'm planning to apply. I'd love to know what three things you would do while I'm in my program to optimize my chances to uh, to get into consulting. Um, so networking, you know, in country can be super helpful. Um, number three is selecting the right major. So you know, highly analytical majors, um, things such as economics, uh, business administration, applied majors, um, such as a master's in business analytics, can be really really desirable. Now, um, what's interesting is that engineering majors also super attractive, right? But anything that's applied where there's there's an application. Um, math majors, although they're highly analytical, often are considered so theoretical that they're not applied enough. Um, and so there is a, an analytical component, but it's not that every analytical major is going to be a great fit into consulting. Um, and, and again, if it's not just majors, but for our masters and PhD folks, um, you, you may already be in this. I'm going to talk in just a minute about what you should do if that's the case. But but really focusing on the applied nature of what you're doing um, and sharing about that. Um, the theory is only one small piece of what you're going to do. Almost everything in consulting is actual applied or projections of applied, um, uh, you know, analytics. And then um, the final thing is just getting involved on campus. You know, one thing that we've seen supporting thousands of international students over the years is that um, many of them come there traditionally used to fantastic academic environments. Um, but the employers in the U.S. are looking for people that are durable in the rest of their life. And they're looking for people who can collaborate, who can communicate, um, who can wrestle through issues with a group of folks. And so well-rounded students really do make um, very, very compelling storytellers inside the interviews, because not only are you able to say, sure, I can run a model, sure, I can answer a problem mathematically, but also when my team member disagrees with me, I know how to handle that diplomatically. I've done that before. Um, that, that's incredibly important, especially in second round interviews. Once you've passed a case and passed a resume screen, getting to the place where you are um, you know, sharing your, your well-rounded experience. And so we hate to see internationals who are successful. The firms are excited to have you. They're interviewing you. And then you come to the final round and you're not able to demonstrate that, that kind of personal durability that they're looking for. It's also helpful in the resume and uh, and the uh, cover letter round as well, though, because you can tell really compelling, interesting stories that help you stand out. Or experienced hires. So for those of you who are working currently, thinking about breaking into consulting <clears throat> and also thinking about going into consulting specifically from a work environment where you've been before. Transitioning, by the way, via a school environment is by far the easiest way to transition. And the second easiest way is working in country and transferring. And transferring directly um, internationally, trying to get hired is, is super challenging. Um, so often doing that third way, which is um, working for another firm, getting um, an application into another top name brand firm, and then transferring over is going to work better for you. Um, but there are a couple of exceptions to this. There are certainly, you know, heavy hiring practices such as the healthcare practices um, inside large generalist firms. So you've got MBB, you've got Deloitte, you've got 
Clearview that have these really active healthcare practices. If you are an MD or if you've done um, some kind of engineering or if you've worked in healthcare outside of the US, then um, these firms often will very actively hire, um, whether it's directly or indirectly from the healthcare sector. Just know you're not being hired in that situation as a generalist, you're being hired as a specialist in healthcare. Uh, the second piece is tech, really focusing on targeting tech-focused firms such as Accenture, um, Capgemini. There are a, a litany of them. We have a number of different articles on our website that you could read about those. But tech-focused firms actually have the highest headcount out of consulting firms because they're not just doing the consulting piece. They're actually also doing the implementation part. Um, and many times you can work on both sides of that process. Um, strategy is still the most consulting ish part of working for tech-focused firms, but it can be really helpful if you have technical skills, coding skills, um, and other kind of um, baseline technical skills having worked in technical firms. Um, number three is supply chain. So su supply chain operational areas, right? You've got these uh, practice areas that are aligned by industry, but you also have operational areas. This could be supply chain across healthcare and manufacturing and you know, um, uh, let's say food and beverage, right? So there are all kinds of different supply chain practices. And um, those uh, organizations inside generalist firms can also be great. So if you develop a specialty in the way that you're thinking about and working through your job experience, that can be particularly helpful. Um, finally, you know, just at the end, make sure that you match your experience with the firm and the role that you're applying for. Um, the best way to do it is to start with where you are, right? Try to find a place that is aligned with where you currently are. Um, but certainly either degree programs or making that first step move into another role can also be helpful. It's just good to know where the demand is when you're thinking about taking a two-step approach. You don't want to take a two-step approach and then kind of get boxed in. Um, for, for those of you that, uh, you know, are interested in knowing also the key filtering question, which is like, which firms hire? Um, we put together a H1B database. And this is sourced off of the government information. We culled it down so that it is very consulting and strategy specific. So it's over a thousand consulting firms that have offered H-1B sponsorship. And, and let me be clear about this. This means that they have offered it recently, but it doesn't mean that they will. Um, and so when you go to a firm, you have to approach them with that knowledge um, saying, you know, I saw that you have sponsored H-1Bs instead of that you do sponsor H-1Bs. Um, it's just kind of an important nuance from the firm's perspective, because of course, anything can change. Um, as we mentioned before, tech is one of your key focus areas, a great thing to leverage um, if you're interested in it. Um, but tech focused firms are more likely to sponsor firms like Accenture, Cognizant, Infosys, um, TCS, Capgemini, etc. You know, one of the great things about the tech consulting business is that the minute that you finish implementing the, the old version of tech, there's a new one coming out. And so you've got to start all over again. So, you know, it's a very, uh, a very kind of um, important and resilient sector of the market. It's a free resource on our website for those of you that are here from our um, consulting partner schools, or um, if you're not at a partner school, but in career services, you can feel free to share this. We produced it. Uh, we, we had a lot of internal debate about whether it should be free or not, but we decided to, um, to make it free as a resource to our whole community. So um, if you have questions about it, again, feel free to just come back to us and ask, but um, right over a thousand firms that have um, consulting specifics that have offered H-1B. 
apply to Stacks to work on exciting projects focused on private equity, strategy and growth, exit planning, operational improvements, and data and analytics. Stacks is a boutique strategy firm serving private equity firms and their portfolio companies across several industries, including tech, healthcare, consumer and retail, industrials, and more. The cool thing about Stacks, you'll get near equal exposure to each industry, making for a well-rounded consulting experience. Whether you're an undergraduate student, MBA candidate, experienced professional, or somewhere in between, Stacks has a role for you. Ready to uplevel your career? See which roles the firm is hiring for and submit your application through the link in this episode's show notes or on the careers page at stacks.com. That's S-T-A-X.com. Hey there, are you looking to break into consulting this year? In addition to continuing to listen to this podcast, there are a bunch of other ways you could engage with Management Consultant. Check out our website, managementconsulted.com. On there, one of the ways you'll find to engage with us is through Black Belt, our premium case prep program. In the program, you receive one-on-one mentorship and prep support from a former MBB consultant. They're there to guide you to offer success through developing a personalized plan for your prep and guiding you through drill-based coaching sessions. In addition, you'll receive expert resume and cover letter edits. Because let's be honest, his prep is only so good if you don't get the interview. 80% of Black Belt's land offers which is why it's the world's most effective consulting prep program. If you're ready to quit wasting time in your prep process, join today. The next cohort of Black Belt kicks off very soon with a group training session on the fundamentals of consulting, recruiting, and spots are selling fast. Learn more, register, check out the link in this episode's show notes. All right, let's get back to the show. The next and final thing that I want to share about before we um, move to what I think is going to be some of the most fun parts of the panel um, is our, our, you know, conversations with our folks that have successfully won the the process and um, done this. And they're going to kind of share some of their really nuanced specifics of how they did it. Um, But before we do that, I just wanted to share one final generalist recommendation. um, And that's that there are really three key components of what you need to do to succeed in the international hiring game. The first one is that you have to network effectively. Um, And this can be challenging for people if you don't have networking as a natural part of your cultural background or your educational experience. I'm going to talk about that and I'm going to dive into that for just a minute. The second piece is that your application cannot be a B. It has to be an A or an A+. It has to be really, really solid. And your experience is not fixed. Sometimes you need to go get an experience or pursue a leadership opportunity in order to build the resume and the cover letter and the stories that make sense. Sometimes you have great experience, but you do not translate that into a compelling resume and or cover letter. And so, um, you know, we've, we edit every month, we edit over a hundred of these. So we've done probably 10,000 in the course of our time working together with um, folks. We've seen a lot of different applications. We've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. 
quickly. Um, and so I'll share a couple of tips about that. And the final one is the interview. Um, I think, you know, again, a lot of internationals are so pleasantly surprised when they do get interviews that they're unprepared um, for the interviews because they operate under the, the the kind of constraint of I'm probably not going to get an interview. Um, we're, we're just going to hopefully give you enough confidence and encouragement today um, that interviews will come your way, that we're going to recommend that you begin to prep between three and six months um, before your interview. And I'll tell you why. The, the firm's um, if they don't interview you, they have very little institutional memory. They don't remember that you applied. Um, but what they do remember is a terrible first round interview. And so um, for folks that come in through the process, do a great job with networking and then bomb that first interview, um, you know, it's such a missed opportunity because the firms at that point have expressed that they're interested in hiring you and you don't want to not only hurt your chances now, but actually hurt them in the future because they're going to assume that whatever happens in your first round interview is the best you've got. There's, there's no kind of assumption that you're, you could just train more or work harder at it. Um, and so uh, the, in the second round, they'll kind of be like, oh, maybe it wasn't a great day or a little bit more business knowledge could buff it up. But, but if you kind of don't pass the first round, it's really harsh, um, a harsh world out there. So we're going to recommend that when you go through this process, you go 100% into it. Um, so let me just talk about a couple of our specifics recommended, right? Um, for networking, we're going to recommend that you reach out to people um, by finding them on LinkedIn and then emailing them for outreach. I will say that LinkedIn can be an effective tool to follow up with people once you've already reached out with them, but um, they're their, uh, you know, LinkedIn inbox can be cluttered. Um, it can be cluttered with people who are selling them things. They're often using LinkedIn to connect for their next job. Um, and so it, it cannot always be the most effective way to reach, reach out. So sometimes people come to us and they say, look, I've reached out to a ton of people. Nobody's writing me back. Well, it's because a cold networking message on LinkedIn is not working for you. So email people, then send them a follow-up on LinkedIn and let them know that you sent them an email. Um, we have a rule called the two, two and two rule for networking. And I'm, I'm condensing like hours of networking content into just a couple of minutes here. Um, but the two, two and two rule is that we would recommend that you write two people twice at two different firms at a time. Um, and so what that means is that you should pick, you know, two people either in the same office or different offices, um, that you should email them once an introduction of who you are and a request for a call. And a second time before that time of their specific call that you um, are reaching out is kind of just a reminder message. When they don't write you back after two of the messages, they're, they're not going to write you back a third time. So you can move on at that point to another cold contact. Um, you also want to, um, you know, so two people write um, two emails and then across two different firms. Um, these firms are so innately competitive with one another that if you happen to be interviewing at, you know, Bates White and you're also um, already have a contact at Cornerstone, that can be a real point of leverage. So working at more than one firm at the same time, but it doesn't have to be 10, like two is actually pretty adequate. Um, can be super helpful. Um, one of those cycles will take you two weeks. You'll know after two weeks whether you have a contact or not. And then at that point, you can move on to somebody else inside the firm and or somebody outside at other firms. Um, when you are sending emails or um, LinkedIn, if you say, do you have time for a call? My answer as a busy person is always no. When you say, do you have time on Friday at 10 a.m. or Friday at 3 p.m.? Actually, Friday afternoons are pretty sweet times for these calls. Um, I actually am much more likely to check my calendar and see whether I could do that. And if I can't, 
to write you back and to say, look, oh, you know, I can't do 3 p.m. on Friday, but I could do this or this time. Like, would a time in there work for you? Um, so that specific CTA can be incredibly compelling. And then finally, a lot of people are so shy um, going through the networking process, feeling like you have to have this very long, elaborate process with somebody. Uh, Y'all, I can tell you in five minutes whether you're McKinsey material. Maybe you're not today and you will be in the future, but I can tell you whether you are today. These people are making a five-minute judgment on you. And so at the end of your 15 minutes with them, you can ask them if they would feel comfortable referring you for an interview. You don't have to say, I'll follow up with you in six months. I'll follow up with you three times. Let's get on another call. They actually don't really want to do that, honestly. They, they already know. So ask them in that first call if they would feel comfortable giving you a referral. If they say no, ask them what else they would need from you and be ready for great constructive feedback. Okay. Um, but the networking process, if it is robust and engaging, um, you will enjoy it more and so will the people that you work with. The second thing is the application. So um, resume and cover letter need to fit together, go together, and complement one another, not be the same. We see a lot of cover letters where people tell the story of their resume in paragraph form. Look, there's a reason why I want your resume is because I don't want to read it in paragraph form. So your cover letter is meant to be an augment, an additional piece of your resume. Um, in your resume, we're looking for three core sections plus a fourth section at the end. The core sections are your work experience, your academic experience, and your extracurricular experience. Um, we call them usually education, experience, and leadership. The fourth section is a personal section or an other section where you put your interests, languages that you speak, and technical skills that you have. Those are all the things that the bots are looking for as they're scanning your resume. Um, so you want them in there, but you need to be able to tell your story in a balanced and profound way in a very, very short amount of time. A couple of rules for your resume. Make sure that there's a number in every single line. These firms are looking for analytical people. If you try to tell me with words, I would rather you tell me with numbers. Um, in addition, they should be for most US positions, including PhDs, one page. Even if firms accept longer resumes, they still prefer a one page version of your resume. Um, then finally, for the cover letter, what I'm looking for in the cover letter are actually three stories from three different experiences. I'd love to hear about a work experience from your experience section. I'd love to hear about a leadership experience and about something academic that you did. What I want to see is that you thrive in multiple environments, but here I don't just want you to tell me that you did X and Y and Z. I want you to tell me that you faced X problem, that you used Y to solve it, and you got Z result. Um, so you have usually three to four sentences inside your cover letter to explain that. Awards, top scores are super compelling. And then metrics, even in your um, cover letter, are the best way to tell the story, right? If I say, I worked with a team of people on a project versus I worked with a team of four people on a six-week project to identify $1 million in revenue opportunities for a company, right? The second one is obviously more clear, more vivid. I can immediately picture you in a room with those people. Um, and, and that visualization is super helpful for the reviewer. The final thing that I'll say here, and then I'll take a couple questions, but I want to move on to the panel, um, is that interviewing, um, you know, for case interviewing, um, especially, but also for fit interviewing, um, practice is imperative. There, there's just nobody good enough to do this without practicing. Some of you only need one hour of practice on fit. Some of you need 10 because you're not used to telling your stories in one minute sound bites. Some of you need 10 hours of practice on case interviews. Some of you need 100. Um, I can't tell you what it is until I sit with you for 15, 20, 30 minutes, but 
this, a market sizing question will always give me a sense of how you're starting out. Um, if you start with a market sizing question timed for 10 minutes, and you can do this either using some of the free options on our website, um, or if you have access to our resources, you can use some of the video-based drills, um, then market sizing is a great assessment. Um, working out loud with a partner is best. Do not mistake case prep time as reading. Uh, reading is like bonus time, but that counts for zero of your case prep hours when people report them out. And then quality um, is much, much more important than quantity. Doing a um, deep dive with a top partner is going to be much more effective than running something with your mama, even though your mama may be amazing. So um, without further ado, um, Zoe and Tunde, I'd like to move over to hear you know, about y'all. And so I'm going to have both of you answer each of the questions rather than do kind of one story um, at a time. And so um, I, I'd like to just start with the first one, which is I'd love for you to provide a one minute background and I will time you each um, on, um, you know, because I, 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 we want to hear from you, but we want to hear the specifics too. So um, of your background and your journey into consulting. So just give us kind of that quick elevator pitch version of um, where you came from, how you broke in, um, and then we're going to dive into some of the details after that. Zoe, you want to go first? Sure, sure. Okay. Tell me when my time starts. Yeah, go. Awesome. Uh, so I'm Zoe. I'm a final year student studying international relations at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. I was born in Zambia, but my parents were Nigerian missionaries, so I spent most of my childhood kind of traveling around, really. Uh, my journey into consulting is, is kind of an interesting one because it's filled with accidents, failed applications, blood, sweat, tears, um, and finally a successful grad application. So I'm starting at BCG in fall in London. Amazing. Okay. Fantastic. That was 30 seconds. That's, Tony, that's going to be hard to beat. Yeah, but, uh, but I trust you. <laughs> All right. Can I go now? Go ahead. Yeah. All right. So my name is Tunde. I'm from Nigeria. I trained in, for my undergrad as a veterinary doctor, did some clinical practice for two years, then moved into the business side of the livestock business in Nigeria. I did that for about six years and then came into the MBA. So I'm a current first year MBA student at Arizona State University. And, you know, that's where I decided, you know, on moving into the consulting, moving into the consulting industry. And I'll be interning at EY Patton over the fall in, at the Seattle office. Fantastic. Okay. Well, I mean, y'all are going to share so many great things that I want to give you the most time to do it. Now the timer's off. Okay. okay. Um, so just give great answers that are helpful for folks. But um, but let's start with the honest, hard truth, right? Um, and so you mentioned, right, blood, sweat, tears, and failed applications. Like, well, like, what were the obstacles that each of you faced? And Tundi, I'll have you go first for this one um, in your recruiting journey, right? Like, who didn't want to talk to you? What, what things were hard? What things were <laughs> misunderstandings that you had um, that there were challenges that you faced? Okay, well, I encountered a couple of challenges. Some were very personal, some were general, the and then I'll just list them in a minute. So the first one was, you know, personal, being able to translate some of my industry, being a veterinary doctor, bring it out, you know, into play in my conversations and in the networking events I had, I was really very poor with networking. That was a very personal challenge that I had. And then, you know, on a more general note was getting enough time with the MBA program to really prepare myself, get my applications across board. Then, like I also mentioned earlier, networking was a challenge. You know, all of the code 
you know, cold mailing and reaching out to people in different companies. At the point it wasn't working, but, you know, with persistence, I was able to land some very good conversations with some wonderful people that helped me. And then the, the, the most major challenge was my case prep. Yeah. I didn't get to eat on time. And just like, you know, I was just focused on will the interview come, will it come? And, you know, I was focused on waiting for the interview instead of preparing. And just like Jenny, you know, I ended up having just about three weeks to prepare. And well, with all of the good resources that management consulted had, I was able to still pull through. That's awesome. It was it was down to the wire, though, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> you were. <laughs> That's so good. Um, Zoe, what about you? What were some of the obstacles that you faced? Um, so I'm going to answer this in a very consulting way and say I'm going to divide <laughs> this into three buckets. <laughs> um, oh, so first, the, first, the bug already talk, bit you. <laughs> first, I'm going to talk about like the degree uh, problems I faced with my degree. Secondly, I'm going to talk about networking, and third, just imposter syndrome in general. And I think the first one, my degree background. So I study international relations, which um, isn't the most, doesn't have the most transferable skills. Like I feel like you need to get a bit creative and you need to push yourself to actually take on those roles to translate into consulting. And I think I found that quite difficult to initially, you know, navigate. Uh, secondly was networking. I think like Tunde as well, I initially struggled with networking, right? I remember listening to, the Strategy Simplified podcast about networking. And I think that was the first time I realized that you needed to have a method behind networking. It yeah. wasn't just throwing out emails <laughs> and just hoping something came back, right? So yeah. I think um, that was definitely a wake-up call. And I think even after I had like overcome the degree challenges and learned how to network and actually gotten into those rooms, right, then I had to face imposter syndrome, right? Because there was always a part of me thinking, okay, so I'm an international candidate. I'm like, I probably don't understand as much of like the lingo as everyone else. Am I going to be able to like, you know, build that rapport? Am I going to be able to pass the airport test with my interviewer, you know, feeling like everyone else maybe was a bit more prepared. Um, and I think just learning to overcome that as well through practice was something that I definitely had to navigate through. I love it. Great, rich answers. Thank you both. Um, is there anything that you wish you would have known earlier? Zoe, how about you go first on this one? Something I wish I could have known earlier is that I didn't need to do it alone. I think programs like, you know, having programs like the Strategy Simplified, uh, sorry, Strategy Sprint, and having access to like the podcast made me realize just how much you needed that feedback. Um, and you just needed to incorporate that. And more importantly, right, not just doing so many case studies, but actually dissecting each one, figuring out what you did wrong, what you did well, and trying to incorporate that into just your general thinking, you know, it reached a point where when I walked into supermarkets, I'd immediately noticed, hmm, the bread's gone. Interesting. So how many people must have walked in today to buy bread? Essentially, my brain was geared so much yeah. after that practice. And I think it, I needed to get to that level. I love that. Tony, what about you? What, right, what do so, you wish you would have known earlier? Yeah, my one thing I wish I'd known earlier was that it is possible. It is possible. Yeah. And, you know, I, I mean that in a lot of sense because, you know, I started off coming into the MBA. I started practicing. I was reading and, you know, doing a few things. And then I just abandoned it altogether. Like maybe I'm not just going to even land an interview. Maybe no company is going to pick me or something. And until that actual meal came through and I had to like start doing crash preparation. So, yeah, just 
believe strongly that it is actually possible. You know, your background or country of origin, irrespective, it is actually possible. I love that. You know, we had somebody write us today uh-huh. and they said, um, aren't all the firms freezing their hiring? And it contributes to that same feeling, right? It's just yeah. impossible. Like, why should I even try? Um, and, and we just want to encourage everybody that's listening today, firms never freeze hiring at the entry level, right? Um, y'all are the least expensive resources that they have access to. And so their business model works when they're bringing in new people. Where they restrict hiring is at the very senior levels. Um, and sometimes they will slow down hiring, but they never stop it because they don't want to sh- wake up in two years having no one have gone through the process of being built up internally. And so the firms are very strategic. Sometimes they'll delay some hiring. Sometimes they'll pace it out in a different way, but they never stop it entirely. Um, in fact, the only time that we ever saw that happen was for uh, was during COVID and it was for three weeks. Um, and so, you know, obviously that was a huge shock to the market. Nobody knew it was happening, um, but it resumed after three weeks alone. Um, and, and that was a pretty, you know, substantial demonstration of the durability of the industry. But yeah, if you're going to, you're either not going to do it at all, or Tony, like you said, right? You know, when you kind of dabble in it, it makes it harder because yeah. you're under the press at the end. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So um, Tony, let's do this one. Um, are there one or two resources that you can share um, for folks that are recruiting now or about to be, you know, tell us, tell us what their prep plan should be. Where should they start? What should they focus on? Well, I think one of the places you want to start is to get a right, right partner. And this could be a person or an organization like Management Consulted. I leveraged Management Consulted because, you know, like I said, I had a very short time to really prepare. I watched all of the case prep videos. I solved some of the case problems that they had on the website and all that. And that was really, really very helpful because, I mean, my interview had one very specific, similar case to something I had solved. And... I think probably, you know, looking back, it just felt like maybe that's even the case that made the difference in my recruitment process, I can't tell. But you want to make sure you get a partner and then don't make the mistake of reading. I also made that mistake. You don't want to be reading. You want to make sure you have somebody you're practicing with, somebody who has a consulting background or a consulting experience who has gone through the process. You want to make sure you're talking to someone to guide you. So you just want to leverage as many resources as you can, and you want to work with someone who has been through that process. That would be really helpful for you. Well, that's great feedback. Love that. Zoe, what about you? What would you recommend? Where should people start? I think I'd definitely add on to what Tunde said. I think one mistake I made initially was just listening to anyone and everyone who thought they knew what, what consulting was. Yeah. And I think what's important is you need to know that you need to learn from people who have what you want or who have gone through what you want because then they have experience to share with you. So I think I learned that the hard way. I probably like lost like a month of prep just reading books and trying to listen to gurus. Um, But other than that, I think my advice would be timelines. So I feel like this is very like, it seems very insignificant, but one thing that really helped me cope with like final year application, my dissertation, a part-time job, all of this was just knowing when all my timelines were and even when I didn't hear anything from companies for a, for a long time, I like didn't give up, you know, so I maintained like my weekly prep, uh, personal fit and case, because I think a lot of people ignore personal fit as well. And it's very sure. important, right? That's where you're selling them as a person, like as who you are, because they're going to be working with you and they need to know that you're someone that they want to sit across the desk from and work on those problems at 3 a.m. with. 
So I think um, these these are just my my tidbits of like resources. I think that the consulting firms trust themselves more to take you from a B to an A in case knowledge and business experience rather than from a personality of a stone to a you know thriving fun personality, right? So I think you're right. I think a lot of a lot of people underestimate the fact that the firm trusts themselves to train you and equip you in what you need if they have the right material to work with. Um, we see that all the time that people are they're scared of the case so they ignore the fit and them. Um, and heavens, it's hard enough to get the interview, right? You, you might as well be ready for the whole thing. Um, let's end with just a couple of two, um, a couple of uh, fun questions. So I'll do this these kind of rapid fire. If you win the lottery, what's your first purchase? Zoe, you go first. You know, I'm going to give a funny answer because I watched a documentary yesterday that said no one under 35 can afford a home. So I'd probably first buy a home. Nice. Um, yeah, I That's... think I'd probably do that. That's that's so old school of you. I love it. Uh, Tony, what about you? Yeah, mine would either be, you know, buying a home or getting a Tesla. It would be one of those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, baby. I like that. <laughs> um, so you're cheating a little bit by not, you, you know, that's a very consulting thing to do. It depends. Uh, I'll give you a couple of options. Um, what about a next one? One item from your travel bucket list. Tundi, what about you? You go first. Well, I'm looking forward to go to Japan. That's one place I really want to visit. There's a lot to learn about the place. I have some colleagues in school who, who are from Japan and they've said a lot of stuff. And that's the next place on my travel bucket list now. Come on. Zoe, what about you? Um, definitely Cuba. Um, I gave a, I gave a class presentation of like the cold war and the missile crisis when I was six. And I think Cuba has just been ingrained in my mind since then. Amazing. I have a friend who spent a whole month in Cuba and I've been to Japan. So if you, if you guys want any uh, recommendations when you're getting serious about it, let me know. Um, and then finally, um, if you could uh, choose one superpower, what would it be? Well, for me, it would be the ability to read people's mind. Definitely. And I'm sure Ooh. it would really come handy for a consultant anyway, you know, because you're sitting right opposite the client's, and he could be saying something else, but you actually know what exactly is going on in this in his mind. So yeah, that's that's a superpower I'd love to. Have. I've always yeah. felt like if you had that think, superpower, you have, you have to have a hide of steel too, right? You know, because like you have to know what people are thinking about you, and it might not be wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> so I love sure, that. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Zoe, what about you? I think it would definitely be be the ability to split myself into two or three. That way, at least I'd be able to have a proper work-life balance. I think. <laughs> oh, so one's playing and one's working. Is exactly, that all the time, it? all the time. Yeah. Thank you all for joining today, and thank you, Zoe and Tindy, for your really insightful responses. It was a joy to have you on. Thanks for tuning in to Strategy Simplified. Join our Black Belt Case Prep program to maximize your odds of breaking into consulting whether you're in the US, Europe, Asia, or elsewhere. 80%, that's 80% of Black Belt's land, at least one offer. That's pretty incredible. The next cohort starts soon, and they do always sell out. There are links in the show notes to learn more. All right, we'll talk to you again on another episode very soon.